You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Hello, and thanks for joining us on our regular weekly podcast. Uh, my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Joining me, as usual, is ITK analyst David Leach. David, how are you going down there? Uh, very well, thanks, Giles, and good evening to listeners uh, here from Marimbula on the long weekend. Now, look, I understand you have got a mo- model plane carnival down there. Is that right? Uh, a small competition uh, with a, flying a, an obscure thing called F5B, where we uh, take about eight kilowatts out of our uh, 500 grams of litho batteries, lithium polymer batteries, and uh, and uh, shred the sky apart. Shred the sky apart. Well, look, I'm glad you got lithium ion batteries, and maybe we can talk about that one day. I do have one question for you about drones. Um, you've obviously got quite a technical little plane there. What do you think of drones? Are they the sort of the uh, are they the bad guys on the uh, or the bad new guys on the block? Uh, well, I think drones are here to say stay. They're not going away. I mean, they're delivering everything from Amazon goods to UP, uh, UPS are using them, FedEx, uh, pizzas. Uh, you know, pretty soon drone will bring you, you soap in the shower, uh, Giles. <laughs> I hope not. Look, David, um, we're going to get down to business. Um, the big topic today, and this is really all we're going to talk about, apart from maybe a few price rises, is the Finkel report, of course. Um, that came out on Friday. Uh, we were hoping to have Dr. Adam Flinkle with you for this particular podcast, but we're going to have to wait till later in the week because um, he uh, needed a bit of a lie down on the weekend after um, after all his efforts and presenting to the ministers on Friday. So, look, um, interesting, interesting report. Very, very interesting report. I've still got a bit of a rain check on what it all means and whether it's good, simply because we haven't seen very much of the modelling. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go through this bit by bit, David. But just my overall view, um, and then I'm going to ask for yours. Um, he looked at the security issues, uh, which is actually mandated to do, and there's a lot of really good stuff in there, and much needed reform and much needed ideas about planning, etc. A few question marks about the storage needed, but we'll get to that later on. He did make the big point that solar and wind is are cheaper than uh, coal and gas, even with storage, and I think that's a fundamental point which I think should guide us from where we go forward from here. Um, it's interesting about prices. He talked about a $92 price um, discount for consumers. If this goes ahead by 2030, I don't know whether that means much to consumers who are facing a $300 a, um, a year price rise from the latest rises, but we'll go into that later on. And the big question is still remaining, is the low emissions target the best? Will they actually get some bipartisan agreement on it? And can it be stress tested for a two degree scenario, which was the big missing link in this whole report? David, over to you. What were your broad things? And then we'll get into detail. Well, Giles, I was a little bit disappointed with the lack of detail uh, in the report, even in the clean energy target uh, scheme. There's really no detail there with it all to be fought out from the politics and as such it's hard to make any comments about how effective or otherwise it won't be. I've been a big critic of the renewable energy target, not in terms of promoting renewable energy but in the way it's been done. I think it's raised prices and it resulted in higher cost of capital for, for new renewable projects and also been associated with a boom and a bust. And I see that Bruce Mountain writing in the Financial Review had some fairly similar uh, comments. Also, as regards putting in place new 
boards and looking at the government and new governing bodies. I mean, I, I'm not sure that we need more bureaucracy involved. We just need a few uh, bureaucrats in charge who really get the way the world is going in a way that I'm not convinced the AEMC does. And we need to get COAG uh, actually working as a unified body rather than internal fighting with itself. Absolutely. Well, let's look, let's take those things um, bit by bit. Um, the whole thing seems to be a political document rather than a scientific document, which is a bit surprising coming from the chief scientist. He seems to have calibrated his report with a view to finding a way forward um, in the policy dilemma. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe he thought that that was the most important thing to do. But do you think he's going to succeed? Because there seems to be this still this big divide between the right wing of the coalition saying, well, we must have coal, and the Labor Party saying, well, we should have everything, but for God's sake, let's not have new coal. Well, I, th I suppose that's the way you get to become the chief scientist, Giles, by not being too prescriptive about uh, what the politicians should do. And I do think there's a certain amount of goodwill, uh, from, as we saw from the olive branch offered by the, the sort of uh, poisoned olive branch offered by the Labor Party, which they will seek to exploit. And we also have the necessity of uh, Malcolm Turnbull still having recently committed to the COP21 targets. Uh, so so you've, you've got uh, plenty of incentives, I think, that, that may result in some policy coming forward. And I, I listened to, uh, we're doing this podcast, but I listened to a very interesting podcast recently uh, on Freakonomics Radio that suggest, was talking about the idea that reform doesn't all happen all at once. You know, you don't get all you want in one go. And at this stage, what we're looking for is some new policy to take us forward, get more renewable energy built, and whilst everyone gets adjusted to the idea that we're not going to have any coal or gas in 20 or 30 years. Well, that's right. I mean, I think, look, if you take Finkel's recommendations or conclusions here that wind and solar, even with storage, are the cheapest form of new generation, then it probably doesn't really matter which policy you actually use. Um, you're going to get there in the end if you're actually ramping the target up to two degrees. And you say that Turnbull has re-engaged re or recommitted to the COP21 targets, but we're still a long way from having our policies calibrated to a two-degree scenario or even a well-below-two-degree scenario. Um, we expect to see the modelling, um, I think, in the next week or so. Um, it's a bit unusual, as you say, why the modelling doesn't release, but I think the modelling is actually going to scare the pants off the right wing of the coalition because it's basically going to show that you're not going to have coal by 2050. This report was basically based on the coalition's down payment. It's 28% cut by 2030. It showed that coal would still provide 25% of all generation by 2050. And I don't think anyone can seriously, any board member can seriously think that if we're going to meet those Paris targets, we're still going to have coal by 2050, particularly not unabated coal. Well, Giles, I won't be here in 2050, uh, so I, I won't, I'll leave that to the future. But, but you still got to care about it, David. I, I, I do care about it, but only in a sense in the abstract. What, what I do care about is how much progress is made between 2017 and, and 2030. And, and this, the, the good news in this is that the Labor Party is willing to support uh, some policy similar to this or has indicated that they will. Uh, um, the co it's a policy that isn't an EIS, so the coalition hasn't ruled it out. That in itself but, but, is a positive. But where do you see the blockage? Do you, do you see the blockage between the coalition and Labor or do you see the blockage within, internally within the coalition? Well, it's, it's well 
Without, it's well known that there are strong forces within the coalition that are very supportive of the coal industry. I don't think that's a big secret to anyone. And coal remains our second biggest export pretty much after iron ore and iron ore and LNG and coal are Australia's three biggest exports. And, and we can argue about the economic benefits, but I can understand why people support the coal industry, even though it has to go away. And, and so overcoming that resistance is tough. And I think what has happened is that renewables have shown tremendous progress in getting their cost down. And now it's just a matter of convincing people in Australia, the same way as we've convinced the rest of the world is gradually becoming convinced that not only are renewables cheaper, but even allowing for the cost of balancing, uh, there's not going to be any energy security issues. And one of the things that get missed out is that every single, I don't, most of the modeling ends up with crap results because the inputs Modelling is by its nature crap. It depends mm. on the inputs that are put in and they're, they're really up to date and really right. But every single report has always said that there isn't a, uh, essentially, if you do enough new supply, renewable supply, there's not going to be an energy security or reliability issue. And I think that's the point that we need to convince everyone of uh, in, in order to get the whole of Australia on side with this, what we Absolutely. have to do. Absolutely. Now, look, it was interesting. They did talk about the storage. I mean, look, let's go back to this, the security thing and what came out. Um, you mentioned about that planning and this idea of having this new centralised board. I mean, certainly we need some sort of coordination and that seemed to have been lacking over the last few years. No one seemed to know whose responsibility was it to do what. And um, I'm all in favour simply because of the sort of the calibre of the person in charge of giving EMO maybe um, more of a role in this, in, the, in this planning and, and maybe that's where they're heading. I was a bit concerned about this idea of storage and each individual wind and solar farm being responsible for adding storage or some sort of firming capacity. Now, we know that some solar, wind some solar farms and some wind farms are going to add storage because they see value in it because of where they're located and, and, and the nature of the local grid. But this blanket idea that everyone has to do it rather than like a systems-wide thing seems to be problematic. It could add costs. It could add... Um, um, it could add uh, red tape or whatever and um, you wonder why it's actually necessary because the CSIRO actually says that anything less than 40% um, wind and solar is actually trivial um, before you need to do storage. Now sure we need to start planning. South Australia's reached that point it needs storage. Victoria will probably reach that within another eight years but um, I think well there's obviously going to be a lot of movement with, with those um, recommendations I guess. Well, well I agree with that and uh, an economist would tell you you'd have a separate market for, for storage services or for balancing services. And that's what we still uh, are likely to see with the state plans uh, where, where they will call for some dispatchable renewable electricity. And, and you know, you've got Turnbull with his uh, Snowy 2, which could deliver a whole lot of that. Look, until the amount of renewable energy in the broader NEM doubles or even triples, uh, there's the, the coal and the gas and the hydro that we've got are going to have no trouble at all delivering um, uh, reliable, the balancing mm. kind of it. So, so it's, it's just not an issue at the moment. And look, I think it's gone about the wrong way. I, I don't think that idea is like a sop to the, sop to the um, what I might call the negative people out there. Virtually anyone with any brains is going to see that the, it's not the right way to go about mm. it. What do you think about this idea about um, the coal plants having to give three years ad, um, advance notice? Is that well? It's it's very detrimental to the coal plants' uh, forward contracts. 
when we heard about the Northern Power Station, it's also contrary to the um, the way that markets operate because they, they kind of have inside information about their contract book. And, and it means that if they give three years notice, they get taken for a ride in the sense they can only contract very short and, and people know that they can, they can exploit that. So at the, on the one hand, on the other hand, we do need to have those remaining coal generators are big lumps of generation. And every time one is taken out, it's certainly a significant event in the market. So perhaps three years is the right way to go about it. I, I, I'm not that fussed about mm. that one way or the other, to be honest, Giles. I'd rather get the basic design of the market sorted out. And I see that as more of a detail. Yeah, and we don't know much about that at the moment. It's interesting, actually, that Dr. Finkel actually has decided that keeping some coal plants going longer mixing that with renewables and storage is a better idea than actually cutting the coal out short and throwing in more gas. So that's an interesting one. In fact, one of the big themes of this whole report is that basically he is agreeing with the likes of AGL and a whole bunch of others that really gas is not going to be the transition fuel. It's too expensive. It's undercut by renewables and storage. So keep a couple of coal plants going longer than some people might have thought and um, make the transition that way. Um, the big thing I think is probably going to be consumers, and this is the big political thing, and this is whether we can reduce prices. I mean, gee, look, $92 reduction a year for a consumer bill, that doesn't mean much for a family which is facing a $300 increase this year. Um, it makes me wonder what it is that the utilities think that consumers will do in 15, 20 years' time if they've still got prices around $0.30 cents a kilowatt hour, $0.35 cents a kilowatt hour from the grid, and the consumers have got ever-decreasing cost of solar, which is probably between 5 or $0.10 cents now, probably closer to $0.05, cents, plus the decreasing thing of storage. What do they expect consumers to do? You know, again, it's the, the task at the moment is to get more renewable supply or more supply full stop, but, and it will be renewable, into the market as soon as possible. Uh, worrying about what's going to happen in 15 years' time is kind of an interesting academic exercise. But what we need is a, immediately is a policy that takes us from 2020 to 2030. Uh, at, as you pointed out, AGL this week announced price increases of about 15%, and Energy Australia has announced the same. As you know, we on Renew Economy and here at ITK have been predicting those since about February. Uh, and they, those price increases for the big generator are required for the big gen tailors because that's how much futures prices have gone up. Mm -hmm. We are seeing consumers respond to that. We saw 90-something megawatts of, of solar installed, rooftop solar. We've seen this big surge of investment. Uh, again, boom, boom, Giles. Boom. That's what we're, seeing in <laughs> that's what we're seeing in renewable generation at the moment. Uh, and, and there's a lot more of it to come. We've still got the Victorian target. We've still got uh, now Queensland's announced another 400 megawatts. We're going to see another gigawatt of renewables announced over the balance of this year, most likely. And, and so new supply is coming, and that's what will act to drive down prices. So you think then that in any whatever form this Finkel review and the policies he's recommended um, take up and whether they're adopted and in what form and how it's actually structured, because that's going to be the key, um, it seems like the states are going to have to play their role anyway. So this, the trouble with the Finkel report as it stands at the moment is it's introduced a couple of ideas, but absolutely no detail. And, and the trouble is that developing the detail and getting it through Parliament is going to take time. And, and so we, and we haven't got that much time. It's 2017 now. 
when uh, there's an election, you get into an election, so three-year federal election cycle. So I like these state policies. I've always liked them. I, I think they'll produce the same outcome as a clean energy target and at a lower cost. And I, I think we, what we really should push on now is to see Queensland and Victoria move towards their targets uh, and, and the feds can develop a clean energy target that, that may suit the states or it may not. Fantastic. Look, I think we might just wrap it up there, David, because as you say, we haven't got much detail. Um, we are hoping to get the modelling sometime this week, and we are hoping to talk to Dr Finkel on, later on this week. So that'll be the feature guest of our podcast um, later on this week. So I'm looking forward to that, and I hope it comes to pass. David, in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us, and look, good luck in your um, model plane competition. I'll need it the way I'm flying, Giles. And I think it's worth mentioning that Tasmania also came to the party with a new wind farm uh, this week. So we're getting up towards uh, five gigawatts of new uh, utility scale, never mind the rooftop coming along. Uh, I, I think this is something that's still lost on the broader market. Even within the Finkel report, they've only got a fraction of the actual new supply that's coming. So I look forward to seeing details of the Jacobs modelling, but you know these modelling reports are produced all the time and generally events are moved faster than the modelling. Yeah, and look, I actually think the modelling might be crucial, though, for the ability to actually get some of the politicians on board. But look, we'll wait and see what that tells us and how we interpret it and what happens after that. David, once again, thank you very much, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in.